through the last decade or so, there's been a lot of static decision making in the industry where you basically say, as an example, hey, every time I ship a box to California, it's going to go out on this day of the week with this carrier, with this service, with this amount of insulation and this with amount of uh, refrigerant or dry ice or gel pump. That's like static decision making. What's new now and what companies can do is dynamic decision making, which is, hey, let's give the variables of what we can change to the model. Let the model decide what's the best way to get the box from point A to point B based on the current network conditions of what's going on right now. Hello and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SyncSpider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ecom Ops podcast. And today I have Juan with me, who is the CEO and founder of a cool software for, I think, shipping purposes and all these kind of things called Grip Shipping. And yeah, welcome to the show, Juan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're well welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Tell us a bit more about yourself. How did you land in e-commerce and what about Grip? Yeah, totally. So background, born and raised in uh, Colombia. And then I moved to Boston about 10 years ago uh, where I went to school. And then in my junior year of school, I joined the very early team of this company called ButcherBox, which is one of the earliest companies that was shipping frozen stuff in the mail. Uh, we bootstrapped that company, you know, grew it pretty fast in the first six years and basically ended up shipping millions of boxes of frozen meat in the mail. And then from that experience, I was running logistics in the company, so head of logistics. And from that experience, we noticed just how difficult, how challenging, and how many variables you have when shipping frozen or perishable stuff in the mail, and how low supported that segment of the industry was. So you have like regular e-commerce shipping t-shirts or shoes or appliances in the mail, where that has happened for the last two decades, and there's a lot of systems and fulfillment centers that are like end-to-end -end and provide you a very good experience for it. But on the perishable side, not necessarily the case. So we found ourselves at ButcherBox just having to basically like work around all these things internally, throwing people at the problem, doing a bunch of Excel, and just like working with what we had and trying to drive that innovation bus by you know, creating uh, the solutions for this. But ultimately, a lot of other e-commerce companies, ButcherBox is not a logistics company. ButcherBox is an amazing brand that sources the absolute best meat and you know products that you can trust. And it's more of a marketing brand like meat company versus an actual logistics and, and operations company. So it happens all across the industry, right? Where like the forte of all these companies are you know creating valuable products for their audiences and the people that follow them versus just investing a lot of resources in the logistics and operations. So that's why basically from that experience, I decided to step down as head of logistics. And that's when we started Grip a couple of years ago. And what we're doing at Grip is we're working with companies like ButcherBox that ship frozen or refrigerated products in the mail, where we allow them to focus on what matters most for them, which is adding value to their customer, creating amazing products and creating a beautiful brand. And we handle all the backend. So our work says, a company A sells a product, let's say it drops in their Shopify or WooCommerce or whatever other point of sale system they're using. Then from there, the order drops into our system. 
We run it through what we call a shipping engine where we're looking at millions of data points across the country and deciding what's the absolute best way to get the box from point A to point B. And then we also fulfill it and ship it for them. So we have four facilities across the country. We have New Jersey, Texas, California, and Florida. And we basically take care of the full back end of that with a bunch of technology. So there's so much technology that goes into it that we actually started as the purely technology layer of this problem. I'm integrating into the different order management systems, but then our same customers, just because the industry was so fragmented and didn't really want to work with five, six different providers to get nationwide. And they were having just a lot of issues with the data. That's when we basically said, Hey, the way that we can add the most value to our customers is handling the full backend so that they can focus on what matters most for them. Okay, great. So you provide the technology. But you also provide the 3PL shipping center warehouse, warehousing of the products. That's really, wow, that's huge. So your customers can give the products to you and you take care for the rest so that the goods are coming to the persons who purchase them and even get the returns. So no returns in perishables specifically, mm -hmm. uh, because if something, if you break the cold chain of something and not necessarily want to take that product back because of the food safety risk component of it. Yes, what you said, without the returns, just because of the uh, intricacies of this industry mm -hmm. specifically. Makes sense. Wow, that's cool. You've seen a lot in e-commerce. How do you see the e-commerce landscape evolving over the, the next couple of years, particularly in terms of logistics and customer expectations? I think the, there, there's a lot of power in the data and there's a lot of much more processing capabilities that have come into the industry in terms of like how are you using that data to make decisions to better service your customer? So as an example, like something that people don't look at a lot is connecting the lifetime value of a customer with the logistics and operations to understand what can you do better for that one customer to increase the lifetime value. So those are things that are usually handled by two completely different departments in the company. One of them is handled by marketing slash revenue or sales. The other one is operations and logistics, even if you have a department for that internally. And it's just very hard to make that connection. So that's mm -hmm. just one example of with data, like what are the different things that you can do to basically make much more educated decisions internally in companies. There's one thing that I often see and I do not understand. I see often reviews on Amazon or on any other marketplace where the reviewer says something like, package came damaged and therefore the good is not good and this is why I give a bad review. It, it, it is not the fault of the supplier of the vendor who is selling the product actually. It's your logistic partner. Do you see this often or is this often a problem for you as well that that packages got damaged and, and, and what could you do about something like that as a vendor and how do you react you on such? It will always happen to some packages. No yep. matter what you do, it will always happen to some packages. But I think the key point here is understanding where is it happening the most? Like, where is it over-indexing so that you understand what are the different variables that you can control or like what's specific about these boxes that are getting damaged so that you can start chipping away at those changes and improving. As an example, we don't like staying, we don't like hiding under the averages. For example, saying, hey, my damage rate is 3% and that's fine because it's 3%. I can guarantee you that if you look under the hood, there's going to be some areas or zip codes or specific regions of the country that are at 6% and there's going to be ones that are at 1%. So, you know, 
with damage packages and specifically, I would say focus in that area where you have the 6% because there's something specifically going on in that region that you can control. And do you measure that? So is this something uh, that your software is capable to do? For instance, do you recommend measuring the damage rate and make decisions out of that factors? And we measure internally. So we have direct mm -hmm. connections with our customers, some through APIs, some just upload the data into our system, but that basically closes the logistics loop and it gives us feedback on where are these areas of the country that we can change the different variables to improve the success rate of how we're getting to the customer. Okay, cool. Who needs you? Who is your customer? So what would you recommend to a vendor? Uh, I mean, in terms of who needs us, I would say anyone who's shipping perishable products in the mail, direct to consumer. So, you know, we've seen, and we're very proud about this internally, that like when we look under the hood of all these companies that have been doing this for a few years or are just getting started and are getting some traction, like there's so much value that the platform can add that it's like an operator. Like you can literally reduce your damage rate by 30% and shipping costs by 25 to 30%. Like when you mm -hmm. put those two things together and then you analyze what's the lifetime value impact that's having by basically servicing better your customers and improving the bottom line, it's massive. And the reason for that is because my co-founder, Jimmy Cooper, he's a CTO of the company and uh, he used to be head of data at ButcherBox. Uh, so he was the guy who basically built the entire data department there from scratch, like the first data engineer that we hired at the company. And I say that to explain that we both come from the problem. We were both like basically day one in the problem of how are we solving this and like, how are we scaling this company within this industry? So we literally, we can put ourselves in a customer's shoes yeah. so well that sometimes we even bring problems up to them that they could be experiencing that they don't even know that they are experiencing. Or we say, hey, you're at this scale right now. And once, you know, 100x the volume, this is what you're going to see at your company. Or this is what's going to happen with your product or your cost. Because we went through all this. And the solution that we built for this is basically, hey, what did we wish we had when we were getting started? And then also at scale, what's still missing in the industry at scale? So yeah. that's why we, like, the connection that we have with the customer is uh, super strong. And I can fully follow you. I'm fully with you because this is exactly the best founder stories when founders are solving a problem that they face themselves and know already exactly what to expect. So this is really very helpful for customers then of a business that there is someone really understanding them. You've yep. seen a lot. What are the most common mistakes in, in that e-commerce businesses make regarding logistics and supply chain at the moment? I think the most common mistake right now is doing things a certain way just because that's how they've done it for the last five or 10 years. Basically not being brave enough to change the status quo. And mm -hmm. what usually happens there is you know, through the last decade or so, there's been a lot of static decision-making in the industry where you basically say, as an example, hey, every time I ship a box to California, it's going to go out on this day of the week with this carrier, with this service, with this amount of insulation, and this with amount of uh, refrigerant or dry ice or gel pump. That's like static decision making. Every time you ship a box to California, it goes out that way. What's new now and what companies can do is dynamic decision making, as we call it internally, which is, hey, let's give the variables of what we can change to the model. And then let's let the model decide what's the best way to get the box from point A to point B based on the current network conditions of what's going on right now. So that's uh, a, a mistake that I've seen a lot of companies do right now, which is, hey, I've done this for the last five years. It seems to be working fine. 
but they're leaving a lot of margin and a lot of money in the table and a lot of growth because it could be you know having their customers much much happier with their experience yeah got it so stick to what always was working instead of looking over the border yeah t totally and yeah. sometimes it's not even working so you see a lot of these uh, companies are struggling nowadays because they just can't get to profitability and the yeah. reason part of the reason that they can't get to profitability is because they keep static decision making through their processes because mm -hmm. they just keep throwing way too much money at the problem and just not adapting to the changing network conditions as they should. How do you see the development of these, I think, new ways that might come like same day delivery with drones and all these kind of things and robots? Is this something that you're monitoring that is already maybe implemented in some spaces? I generally like it. I'm a big fan of change and, and innovation and, and new stuff. I think that all of that, you know, like drones and, and robots, I think there's a long way to come still. Like I think it's only getting started, but that's also for me personally, what's like super exciting, right? Okay, being able to test some of these technologies and get early in them and be an expert in some of these technologies, but I think it's only really getting started. So I don't think the, I don't think it's ready. Like some, none of these technologies are really ready to be deployed at scale and at real value, but some of them are definitely ready to start some testing in the different methods of transportation. What's the most common e-commerce store that you're connecting with? We have some e-commerce, we have some custom built solutions. We have some yeah. customers that also sell on Amazon as part of their storefront, but Shopify is definitely the, the common denominator. Yeah. And how important is the, the automation part for you? So how important in general do you see automation in e-commerce? Massive. That's a big part of the change. What we've seen companies do and what we used to do at ButcherBox as well is, hey, I have an Excel spreadsheet. Every time I get the orders, I have to run it through this Excel and I download them, upload them, download them again, run another process and then have someone else check them and then upload them again. Like the amount of resources that you need to handle something like that and the amount of space for human error that brings to your company a risk is massive. And at yeah. the same time, you're just never going to be able to do it as good as a computer or machine can with the data that, that they can process. Definitely a lot of manual work still happening, a long way to go to get all these companies to be much more automated and efficient so they can focus resources on something that's actually value added for the company. Fully agreed. That's absolutely true. So automation integration is really, I think, the key for an optimized e-commerce business to be able to grow and not need for everything a new resource on the, on the stuff side of things. But if you talk about automation and integration, how do you see AI in e-commerce? How important is it? Will it help us in e-commerce? Could it solve problems for us? I think it will play a role for sure because it allows faster decision-making with more variables included. So if you think about, hey, what specifically on the marketing or sales side, hey, what email offer am I going to show customer A versus customer B and customer C? What happens a lot right now is people are not like splitting the cohorts in that many groups when it comes to their customers and marketing because they just don't have the, the data power or the manpower to do. So I think things like, or tools like AI are going to come into place where you're just going to give the variables to the model and a model is going to decide, hey, I have these 15 offers that I can give to these 2,000 different cohorts of customers that I have internally. You make those decisions based on how you see people behave in terms of you know, how many times have they been to the website, what's the last product they purchased, when did they join as a customer in the company, 
what was the last thing they told customer service? What was the last thing they bought? Have they left off a review or no? Like all these variables. So you can just throw them in the model and have the model decide what type of communication and, and marketing you should send it to specific customers. I, I think that's that's going to be super powerful. Yeah. So again, something that relies on a lot of data, actually. And yeah, that's the key, I think, to really have a good database that's cleaned up, that has all the information needed to make strategic decisions based on data, based on numbers. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And what you just said is okay because shit in, shit out. If you yeah. push your data into the model, you're just going to get something that doesn't work. And yeah. that's something that we help our customers a lot with, actually, because they get a unified database of what's going on with their orders after they sell the product. So this is an industry that has been fragmented for a lot of time, as I was saying before, where you usually have like your storefront, then you have an order management system, then you have some other middleware that is converting the orders before sending them to Facility A. Facility B might be pulling them straight from the order management system and Facility C, you might sending them like through an Excel spreadsheet. So that's all basically like fragmented programs and systems that getting that data ingested on a clean level and within the different stages of, you know, silver, bronze, gold data and having everything like in a data lake that you can use to make decisions with gets very challenging when you have fragmented systems like that. So that's definitely one of the value adds of working with a company like, like us, that's basically like your single point of contact for all these different systems, data points, operations, logistics, fulfillment, that you know that everything is coming clean from the same source of truth. Cool. Thank you. That's a very meaningful answer to me. And do you have any quick win, one or two quick wins for our listeners, what they could improve when it comes to logistics and shipping in their e-commerce business? I think that the first thing is look under the average. Hey, where is that one every other country where you're underperforming? in logistics and operations, and then go fix in that specific area. That way you can basically like focus on the specific area of the country or supply chain or vendor that is just not performing as, as it should. And that gives you basically like a focused effort to go and fix it. Cool. Thank you. Who has taught you the most about e-commerce in your career? Okay. I think logistics. So we hired this guy while well, at ButcherBox called Patrick Johnson who, you know, brought into the company, you know, 30 plus years of experience in the industry. He's happily retired right now and reads like three books a day. Uh, <laughs> in living uh, but I think he taught me two, two main things. The first one was like what I was just saying before, look under the average and break it down so that you can really spot the areas of improvement. And that also means like looking under the hood of where are the problems coming from? So like understanding a logistics network, hey, what are the different buildings that a box goes through after you ship it? So that you understand if it's like terminal C that is basically having problems with the tape and the box, then you can understand that building might be mishandling boxes specifically. So, uh, and that means looking under the average, because if you find that one specific building is like over indexing at 3X in terms of how bad the boxes are performing, then you know that you can go and fix that building. And then the second thing that I learned was that improving logistics and operations is basically like small incremental improvements. It's like chipping mm -hmm. away at the problem. If you try to fix everything at the same time, you end up with so many things that uh, you can fix that you're basically overwhelmed and don't really know what to tackle. So like splitting up what are the different things that you're working on and then go from highest impact to lowest impact. I think it's also a, a good approach and something I learned from him. 
Cool. Thank you so much for your time, Juan. It was really a very, very interesting uh, episode, I think. Uh, learning from the, a guy who really has experience with logistics is very worth for, for all of us. So thank you so much and good luck with Grip. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time. 